and learn from YouTube videos and, and simulators how to get pretty much anything accomplished. So with that being said, how do we still have insults? Uh, involuntarily uh, celibate individuals. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the dads are working. All right. So, uh, so the guy in Seattle steals a plane... And it just he was a he was a ground crew guy. Seems easy enough, you know, like you're around planes all the time, you know what the buttons do. Some pilot once was like, Hey, you know, like just press this button and pull back on this. <laughs> Didn't teach him how to land, obviously. I don't think that he was really trying to land. Like, if you're gonna go out, like he went out like I guess the way you are supposed to do that sort of thing. Like, no one else was killed, no one else that we know of was injured. It was just the dude that stole a plane, did some barrel rolls, and then didn't do it them didn't anymore. It sound like he was fucking sure that he wanted to, like, he was going to land or not. Like, he was definitely, um, I mean, they, they had this transcript and they were talking, he was talking about, you know, like, should I land, should I not land kind of deal. He wasn't even, he flew the plane, hadn't even decided whether he was landing or not, obviously. Where are you, like, in your life when you're like, yep, yeah, fuck it, I'm going to take a plane. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say a little bit out of your mind in reality. I mean, I, I mean, that would be maybe an ultimate check on a bu- bucket list if you're crazy enough to do it. I, I absolutely. But the other thing that makes me makes me wonder about is like, like safety, like really in in a very real way. Because uh, even a few years ago, there was a German pilot who flew a plane, and, and I may be getting my, my facts a little bit twisted up. He flew a plane into a fucking mountain and because he was depressed. And he took, like, 300 people with him. I, I don't remember the number. I'm a little bit stoned. Uh, but, yeah, he flew a plane full of people into a mountain. This dude didn't hurt anybody but himself. And in that reality, in my my opinion, I mean, he's almost my hero. I mean, I mean, he did it in the most blazing fashion you can do it. I mean, if that's how you want to go out... Um, He's going to be remembered um, if that's uh, what he was after. Um, don't know his motive, whether if he just wanted to try to see if he could fly a plane and then realize he can't land it or if he was, you know, wanted to go out or not. But he did it in one hell of a way, that's for sure. Certainly a way that'll <laughs> be remembered. Um, but in a crazy way. Maybe he, like, slept walking, slept walked, you know, just like fucking on ambient, something crazy. <laughs> And was just fucking woke up, and then he's flying a plane, and then he's trying to figure out, like, okay, shit, now I'm up here in this plane, like, oh, damn, I'm gonna go to jail, maybe not, like, he was talking about that shit uh, to the air traffic controller, he, at some point, he's like, I'm maybe gonna go to jail for life for this, and so, like, it sounds like he hadn't even, you, do you think about that before you take off, when you're, before you're, you know, like, or is that, like, the second, th- you're thinking once you're in the air, you're like, oh, shit, now if I land, they're gonna put me in jail, oh, shit, you know, who knows. Well, here's another here's another thing. Let's go down this rabbit hole. Uh, our vehicles, they have what is called a, a CAN bass system. And my, my brain's, again, a little bit fuzzy. But it's basically a, a brain network system that uh, allows vehicles to be controlled remotely. There's a, um, a journalist uh, who, um, gosh, I, I want to say it was BuzzFeed. Um, anyway, uh, Hastings, Chris, Christopher Hastings, I believe, uh, was his name. Anyway, his... Uh, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole without enough information, but your vehicles can be hacked remotely. There was a thing on Vice uh, a few months ago where 
the Israeli military was showing their ability to hack your vehicle remotely. So you're telling me that, that you know, like your Ford or your whatever can be hacked remotely, but, you know, these airplanes can't be controlled remotely. You're telling me that that technology doesn't exist, but we were using that technology, you know, previously. Most of these airplanes were built in like the 1960s. They're flying around today. It seems like. Yeah, but what we're talking about is like the central nervous system. Like those get regular updates. Those get regular like <laughs> software and hardware updates. You're talking about maybe a 50 year old shell, but you're talking about a like a, a central nervous system, like a brain, like an operating system that is fairly modern. You know, all of those GPS systems, those those weren't around necessarily like 50 years ago. It seems easier to just shoot them out of the sky. Like, if you turn this plane off, like, because you're not, I mean, you could maybe theoretically steer it or whatever if some of all that mechanics was hooked up to the plane, but just like your car, like, the only thing they could really do to your car is maybe shut it off or operate the brakes. You know, like, they're not going to be able to remotely steer it because there's nothing mechanically connected to your steering wheel, no matter how much they hack your car to steer it. So, I mean, the best they could do is shut you down. And what, you're just going to shut down the airplane and it's going to fall out of the sky on somebody? Or let's just shoot it out of the sky when it's not in... Uh, you know like when then at least they have more control you know like i would say you know, i don't know i think that if you fire it out of the sky you're talking about like a broad debris field but if you crash them into the woods well if you have the capability to steer it if you only have the capability to shut the plane down then you're just going to shut it down and he's going to be able to coast around and turn or do whatever and maybe piss them off he's going to be like oh now i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking turn to the left and i'm gonna hit this city while i'm coasting away Instead of, like, you just shoot him down, he's in 27,000 pieces falling to the ground right where you shot him um, at. Let me just say, I know shit about planes or physics. This is way more cool <laughs> to shoot down, you know. Well, yeah, I guess, well, why not? Yeah, like, show the capability yeah, that you like, have. You guys, you stole a plane, now you're freaking a fireball. But, like, why use an F-18? Like, why not use an A-10? Like, that just seems like that would be... Like, if you're going to use a show well, of force... They could have shot them down from a fucking from the ground, for all that matter. They could have a boat, you know? I mean, they're in the, there's obviously some military boats there in Seattle. Like, they obviously have some, you know, probably some big-ass missiles sitting in the ocean out there. They could have just shoot them down from, from anywhere they want to. Well, yeah, they have Woodby Island there. They also have uh, an army base and, uh, and an air force base. So, yeah, it's totally reasonable. All right. Anyone have any ideas or any, um, any hat they want to throw in that? Any coins? Yeah. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I mean, I thought back in the 60s and the Apollo days that they had capabilities of remote manning the space shuttles. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I really thought they had that capability. Now, if I remember back, I mean, I've seen plenty of videos on YouTube where, you know, maybe a pilot had a heart attack or a pilot died or passed out and passengers have actually taken over and landed planes with the help of an FAA controller but I don't recall any history or reading or stories of them being able to remotely control the plane but with that being said I mean <coughs> all these you know incidents going on you would think I mean even back from 2011 that they would have integrated that into the planes by now to be able to manually override a plane and stop a sit terrorist situation like this and if not they need to come up with it you can, you can hack into those planes if they're doing RF. Easy. That's absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, even, Mark Tyler. Even, even encrypted RF, whatever it would be. But your best, your only offer, only thing you can do is shut it down. Like, well, if you could hijack in there and have a flag, do whatever you wanted. You could take over the control of it, and nobody could do anything. 
Well, yeah, I know, but there, if there's no mechanical, if there's no mechanical way for the controls to happen, if the plane doesn't have that built in, like you're not going to be a, just because you access the computer doesn't mean you're going to be able to make the plane go right. Like, yeah, it depends on what you're able to. Just probably do, what you're you able to, to be a high tech enough plane that is no, computer controlled and um, that's operating the hydraulics. Because if it's just a simple. Um, they have, the they have the technology now. They have uh, we, oh, yeah. we looked at it drones. back in the day. It's called the Herf gun, but it wasn't exclusive for drones. But it was, I think, it was made in the beginning for uh, cops to take out uh, vehicles. And it's just a, it's just a technology <laughs> device that you basically, it's like a radar detector you point it at a car or vehicle or anything, and it shuts down everything. It just basically destroys the, the circuitry in the vehicle and shuts shuts it completely down. So I'm sure they. I know they have that stuff now. Or if they really wanted to, basically render something completely useless, they would just use. I'm sure, they got an adaptation of that Herf gun and drop it. All right. So there you go. Yeah, they had the first uh, quote-unquote assassination attempt in Peru not more than what a month ago. I don't know how serious it was. It looked With like it was pretty junky, yeah. but you, they were. Uh, I think that I believe there were explosives attached to drones. Yeah. Which. I don't know. It seems like if you're trying to assassinate the president of a country, you're you're going to do a little bit better than that. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it certainly you know uh, let its uh, let a presence be felt without a without a doubt. So if you can do that with drones, then there's you know at, then what does our government have? Well, I just uh, did a quick Google on can it be even done, just to you know read through a quick articles, and the first one that popped up is basically asking that question: why do these planes not have that capability ever since the 9-11 attacks? And the one main answer I'm seeing here is because of cyber attacks, because terrorists could probably hack the plane themselves and take over themselves from another country. And that's probably why they don't uh, make these planes remote controlled from what I'm reading right here. So there's a good point. That's a, that's a really good point. Uh, if, uh, if the PlayStation network can't be secured, but Pornhub <laughs> can, Maybe Pornhub should be running our cybersecurity. You never hear about any hacks of Pornhub. Pornhub seemed to be pretty good when it comes to privacy. Those aren't hacks. Those are whacks. <laughs> People are busy whacking it. On they're not hacking it. Anything can be hacked, though. Any system can be hacked. Probably not Pornhub. So what? Uh, what else have you guys been keeping up with uh, this week? This week you had your big event, High Times Cannabis Cup. And you took second place in concentrates. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I guess we made um, some purple phantom cookies, uh, live resin oil. We entered it into the um, hybrid concentrate category. It took second place. Um, it was pretty awesome. Cup was cool. There was a, I mean, there's quite a bit of things going on. There's some bands and pretty bit, pretty nice stage. Uh, Can we yeah. talk a little bit about the Kennedys um, and how you guys did? Yeah, the Canada dudes. Um, we we rushed around in the very last seconds and got a got a booth and got eight entries. Um, put in amongst all the different dudes and uh, let's see, we got um three prizes total. <laughs> we got three um three three places. Uh, Brandon McGrew and Catalyst Com- Cannabis Company won um a CBD. I think the best the CBD, CBD bud flower. flower. Yeah. yeah, and then um. We got the um, hybrid concentrate second place, and Andrew Campbell got first place topical um, entry. Uh, so, 
So um, that's pretty. I guess I feel like that's pretty good for for just a um, you know, like a a Facebook group to to go and um, get all together and and go win some some awards at the can the High Times Cannabis Cup. Uh, I guess it's uh, just going there would have been like on my bucket list, but winning an award, it's just it's I don't know. It's not even sunk in yet. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Just we've been working so hard and stuff like that, so it always just seems like you know like work 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 and then even if you win and everything else you're just looking at a bigger pile of work in front of you so i mean even though it's exciting it's like just um just what we do so how does that change the demand for your product as someone who makes concentrates um i don't know i'm sure that uh it gives you some credibility to be able to say you know like this is the real good shit because there's a lot of people everybody's saying the shit's good but you don't really have anything to back it up it's just your word against uh, everybody else's and then um so i feel like i feel like it'll be helpful but still it's just a just one award so um it's only going to go so far uh the products really speak for themselves anyways nobody's going to be like uh you know, like you can't deny that it's great. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Mark, good, your good step in, it's a good stepping stone. You know, Ryan and Ryan specifically. You know, Ryan and George, but Ryan specifically have been, you know, really in the trenches, uh, working at this with a, you know, with a a mindful eye and really, um, um, you know, busting ass trying to make the best concentrate. You know, so it's been really important. Uh, uh, to Ryan uh, for quite a while, <laughs> and it uh, to to be able to get that uh, an award and recognition when we haven't even gotten anything out yet, you know, it's just uh, it's kind of a testament to uh, to his what he's able to do and uh, the quality of uh, what he's actually bringing to the table. You know, we we know that you know that it's the best around. Period. You know, we 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 already kind of kind of knew that uh, it has that kind of quality. And so to kind of get rec- you know recognized uh, in the cup, that's a big deal. But uh, it's just like Ryan said, it's a the, the product speaks for itself. And uh, I think this is a stepping stone. I think uh, um, you know it's thrown kind of together, and uh, you know it just even goes to show you what uh, you know he can do with just little to no time. But the big thing that you know nobody really uh, the other people you know nobody really said is you know, Ryan grew this and concentrate. So that's to me the whole different ballgame too, where you know you're the one that's picking, selecting it, growing it, and then distilling it um, in that manner. Um, so that's a little bit different deal than just somebody getting somebody's random ass product <laughs> and cooking it up and, and, yeah. and doing their thing. So which which leads to like a whole other series of questions, like how did you decide to submit the purple phantom cookies? <laughs> Were you looking at other things that you had? Were you looking at perhaps, you know, maybe the, the salmon berry bomb or, or some of your other strengths? Well, um, basically, I really only had two choices because I had two things that I could harvest the Gorilla Glue for in the Purple Phantom cookie. And I, I just, uh, I've had a lot more experience with the Purple Phantom cookie. And I know it's really, really stony and the flavor is really good. Everybody who's ever tried it has been super amazed um, by, by, by everything about it. So um i guess it was just really like they freaking announced so the high times cannabis cup and everybody grumbled and complained and said it's so soon but um it was just the luck of the draw i harvested the plant you know like three weeks early it was kind of small we only got enough oil we didn't even get enough to submit in the cannabis cup 
we even shorted him and we still won like it's pretty crazy so yeah it's just a you know like it was just perfect timing that that plant was available to be harvested and then um we literally made the concentrate the day before yeah there was um, no planning or, or anything but uh, it, he could have put we could have gotten uh, the krk or the, the gorilla glue four and it would have been just as likely uh, you know just as likely to win you know because that's just the caliber of stuff that you know these guys are doing now it's just super high-end sauce you know, and after years of trial and error and figuring it out and really, like, giving a shit, really caring about, like, making the best product, you know, it just seems like it does, you know, the, obviously the flowers and different things matter, and that's what you go at the heart of it, but whether it's, uh, like, Samberry Bomb or KRK or, or Gorilla Glue or Phantom Cookie, they all come out bomb. They all come out great, but in their own kind of right, so, I mean could have done three or four of them and i would have yeah, wouldn't have been surprised i could have won all that i could have won i could have probably won that in, in every category if i would have put in a sample for for different things or if i had more things going on or more time to even yeah i, I even definitely would think that yeah i would think it's highly likely to win any of those categories is that a motivating is that factor is that a motivating factor for next year uh yeah, because certainly I feel like if you ha- if you're able to put in like ten entries, like you got a lot more chances of just of winning for sure, just statistically. And if they're good, ten good entries, like you know you have a lot of chances. You know, if we put four or five entries into into the um, hybrid oil category, like it would be you know like they would have a lot of really good things to choose from. So it would be um, more likely to get you, you know like multiple multiple things. So I feel like. There, there was a couple of categories like the topical. I do believe that uh, only had like a single entry. Um, yeah, there was a couple of uh, categories that only had single entries that won by default. Yeah, no, um, no there was uh, the topicals had more than one entry. Oh, I, I know two people that entered into the topical. Yeah, there, there was only a few that only placed first, and they didn't even give a place award to other people. So I don't know if they were DQ'd or something, but there was well, that's definitely just the way that they were doing like some of the categories that aren't super big. They were just giving out, they just gave out like first, second and third to the, to like the cannabis categories and to, they didn't even give out first, second and third to the like sativa oil. Um, they just, it was just for the hybrid ones that were more popular and the oh, other yeah. ones that were less popular. They right, just no, gave how, out. How many were, how many entries, uh, entries were there in the uh, hybrid? That I, had to have been like the know. bigger one. It was all in, there was distillate and everything was in with all of this stuff, so was just um oh, it was yeah, pretty lumped know. together that's what i'm saying that hit the category that that uh that he placed in was one of the probably the besides the flower hybrid maybe that was in bed probably had the most entries and the most legit so was concentrate just kind of a generic term for you know all different yeah, types yeah, for they just lumped it all in basically just did what did they just did uh, the hybrid sativa and indica they had three categories yeah but shit, any of them, all of them are hybrid. I mean, I, there's none of them that are just a straight sativa or indica. I mean, I can't imagine. No, you have to. You had to be 70 percent indica or seventy percent sativa to um, enter mm-hmm. in to to enter in as a sativa or indica. You'd have to get the lineage, provide the lineage of the plant to be able to do that. So we almost entered in the purple phantom cookies as the indica because it in that we have the lineage and everything. And then in the end we were just like, well, we'll put it in the hybrid because they weren't even sure if they were going to have enough indica oil entries to have that category separate when we were dropping off the entries. Well, 
if I could run it back, uh, actually a, a few years, um, how did you start with growing? Like, how did this become a thing, uh, where you could, uh, where you could, I don't know, become a way to feed your family? Mm, I guess I just wanted to, uh, not spend so much money on, on marijuana. It was easier it, at, at some point. I just knew enough and I, I was good at growing other things. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to start growing weed because I was spending $300 a week on it. And then I started growing weed and we were just doing it all natural and uh, just um, ended up being pretty dank. And a lot of other people wanted it. And at first I felt kind of shady, you know, like selling it or like a drug dealer or something. Uh, that was a long time ago and then the more you know like the more that I got I learned about it and the more that I found out like how it was helping people and, and not hurting people and you know like uh, I didn't you know like after a while I started feeling like I needed to help these people to get it and, and I couldn't stop and you know it wasn't even like um, like just making money or anything it was mostly it was mostly because I was able to help people and and then the black the system of the black market a lot of people were su- you know suffered because they couldn't even get any, um, you know, like you can't get consistency or, or, uh, you know, like you just have to get what you get. And sometimes it's really crappy and sucks. So to be able to come into the open, um, open market and to have more transparency helps people out because at least they know, you know, like, you know what you're getting and you have, have some options. Yeah. It's, it's sort so, of like if you're an educated consumer, you're like reading the, the nutritional yeah. facts on, uh, on a, a box of whatever. Uh, so I, I, I think that we all appreciate that there is no, uh, like the, the black market is, is kind of going away. Um, what do you see as issues, uh, within the, the, um, I don't know, what do you, what do you think are the, 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 the biggest issues inside of the cannabis community right now, inside of the retail community? Biggest issues? Yeah, I don't know. Are there issues? Like tax yeah. issues? Are well, there? Oh, yeah, there are always within issues. The state or? With, within the state. Not, I mean, we could, we could talk. Uh, all day uh, about uh, about. Well, I mean, at at the moment, <laughs> it's the regulations. Um, you know, our our control board's taking their sweet time to get everything regulated, and I understand they're trying to be mindful on their end of, of it, and trying to be mindful with the rest of the state of Alaska because it did take a lot for us to uh, decide to vote on it. And you know, just uh, the High Times Cannabis Cup was a perfect example. Um, we attended it. Um, we saw they had a giant beer garden. Um, the whole thing was fenced in, 21 and over, so it was considered a giant beer garden. So you were able to buy alcohol and consume alcohol within the fenced area, which was roughly about two or three acres. But you could not buy cannabis or consume cannabis within that area. And I understood. I understand to a level why they kind of don't want you to consume cannabis cannabis because you know they're thinking about employees and being high you know and secondhand smoke i kind of get it but don't get it but what i do not understand is why they could not buy the cannabis from the licensed retailers at that spot um you know we it should have been regulated as if it almost as if it were the same as alcohol to where we could bring it in manifest it in there and sell that product and tell them hey you can't consume it here because that's what we are literally doing in our store here you know, and it was a closed environment. It was gated off like a beer garden. Why could we not sell cannabis at that event? I mean, that, that was kind of ridiculous. And that's what I see issues that need to be turned around. I mean, the people of the state of Alaska need to speak up and like, you know, let's make this happen. I mean, the event was cool, but kind of lame at the same time because of our laws and regulations. It, it seems like that would have been the perfect uh, opportunity to, to like just do a cash grab of taxes if you were able to allow people to sell 
a gram at a time uh, at uh, at that sort of event that was already 21 and up. But I'm just a dude. Working the Red Run booth, we were allowed to um, show off our uh, a sample. You know, we had to have it in a jar that was locked up and um, couldn't let him even touch it or, you know, really open it. And they're sitting there like, well, what are you guys doing here? I had many people ask me for a refund thinking I'm working for high times, not understanding. We're just a retailer here just trying to show off what we do and that we exist. And people were like, well, can we buy your product? And, you know, explaining to these people, it's we're just showing it off. They they didn't understand it. They thought they came to this event to be able to buy cannabis, have opportunities to get cannabis samples. Um, you know, it wasn't advertised like that, but this is what people are thinking. You know, they see all the high times in these magazines and all this stuff going on across the rest of the world, and they get to see what's going on in Alaska, and it's just nothing. But on the flip side of that, I, I would argue, you could argue that this is the opportunity for cannabis consumers in the state to know that if they are in the area of the Kenai Peninsula to go fishing or whatever the fuck it is that they're doing down here, uh, they know that they can stop by Red Run and they're going to have a good experience. They're going to be able to to buy good cannabis and they know that you know Ryan has good concentrates. Absolutely. And that's what it was for us. Um, regardless of what happened, we wanted to go down there and uh, show off that we do exist. Um, what we do, um, give the people an idea of, you know, um, of how we are, how mindful we are, and um, how we like to grow things and, and show off what we do. Give away some things and try to put some smiles on faces. Well, one of the other, uh, how did um, how did other peninsula uh, spots do? Like, uh, were there other peninsula growers? You know, there wasn't much. There wasn't much turnout um, for a number of reasons. Number one, because most of us are are so goddamn busy um, that you know it's very hard to, to put the booth up, and then the money's so tight. So you know, booth prices <laughs> are very expensive for a lot of folks. So that kept out a lot of uh, smaller growers or anybody in general, even you know, Great Land and other other folks. Uh, I think uh, Patricia was the only other uh, booth there from Kenai Peninsula, other uh, retailer. There was no other cultivators. There was nobody. Um, in fact, I mean, as a, as a show for for as, you know, as, as regards to vendors, there was just very there wasn't very many. There was very very few. That's the one thing that was kind of surprised me is that it's kind of typical of uh, most shows in Alaska. It's just like just always lame. It's uh, the 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 people don't show up. You know, they don't, uh, nobody really kind of gets excited about it or, or steps up. A lot of times events are too expensive for people. So that uh, it just kind of never really uh, materializes. I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, this is just a foot in the door kind of event. You got to start somewhere and then start you know, building off of that, which I think that'll be. I think there'll be more, more and more every year. I think you give it two or three years, I think it'll be a lot better show. But we had really poor weather, shitty weather. Um, again, really expensive. Uh, it, we didn't get. Uh, it wasn't like the the rollout wasn't wasn't really uh, done critically. You know, we we it would have been nice to know it like maybe a year ahead of time, six months, eight, you know, ten months ahead of time. We kind of just found out about it. You know, three. I mean, it came kind of quick. Kind of came quick, and then a lot of the details weren't divulged quickly. You know, as far as submission submission or anything like that. So a lot of people didn't have any time. You know, now apparently they're doing them every year. So, you know, if people know that right about this time, that this is when these cups are going to come, then you'll start seeing more and more because people will be able to plan and there'll be even more people wanting to enter and, and, and kind of show up. But, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't too bad for what it was. But, uh, 
Well, the turnout was lackluster, but I, I think everybody expected that to a degree. Now, do you think in the future, like going forward, they'll you know learn what mistakes were made and you know what uh, what corrections? Can yeah, be made? I think to a degree. And then um, you know, Alaskans in general, they need to to. It's a, Alaska's a state. It's just a hard uh, a hard way because you just um, you don't have very many people, and then the remaining people that might come to an event like that, they're either uh, cynical, lazy, or don't have the money. Um, so you you draw out a lot of people. You know, people. I'm too cool for that. I'm not going to that why bother so so you get a lot of that and then you get it's expensive as shit like those tickets were like 80 bucks or 100 bucks and so um you know but i thought the turnout for the people was fairly decent well i ran into some uh, some friends of mine on the way home on the you know the, just the drive back from anchorage last night i was driving home from the airport ran into some of my friends who were coming from the cup and they had a fucking blast like they had a great time there you know, they had a, you know, great interactions and they, I yeah. mean, overall they had a blast. So I, I mean, they I, felt I, like they I got their money worth. Like the food court, I mean, they didn't, they had a, just a few of the food vendors and such, you know, I, I, I thought they would have expanded that a little bit more. I really thought they would have way more out of uh, state vendors come up, you know, like lighting people, weed maps, Leafly, uh, you know, various product vendors and really try to push this up here. You know, I just I think it's really difficult. I don't think a lot of out of town people, out of state people realize how to throw events in Alaska on Alaska people's terms. You know, nobody I have not seen anybody really do it right yet. It's just, you know. Well, I think that that has to come from someone in the state. Uh, in one of my last episodes, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to speak with Alaska Red, which, by the way, thank you very much. We did try. So I, I don't know if that was any of the work, the award winning concentrates, but. At one point, yes, we did try some. I'm pretty sure you were there when we were trying the um, trying the little bit that was left over. Yeah. All right. Well, he's been a guy who's been pretty successful in booking artists from the lower 48 to come up and and do events. Mm-hmm. And and I so I think that in order to do events up here, you have to have someone from here on the ground actually uh, running and dictating because it's not like you're advertising the lower 48 where you do a boost uh, on Facebook and it, you know, it's, no, it's different. You got to have the price, right? You got it. You're, you're going for more volume and trying to get some folks in. And yeah, you definitely, you need uh, not just one, but I think you need a couple, couple uh, local people that can harness that, you know, uh, network. It was funny. It's just, <laughs> I just still, I find it. I don't know if it's just me, but I find uh, uh, like Dabstar. Uh, and all that shit, so fucking weird. I just find it so weird. Like the new, star. Well, it's like I, there's like these people now. Um, again, I guess it shows maybe how old and, and old I am. <laughs> You're old, but dab stars awesome. Yeah, I know. But it's what we want to take the like, can of dudes are the next dab stars. It's like they're, they're, now they're these uh, they're they're like the, these these front people. They don't do anything. They don't add anything. But they're YouTube sensations who just shuck and jive and. Throw shit to the crowd and it's just like it's uh, excitement. It's just weird to me. He it's says it, fancy it, words and makes people feel good about them, about themselves. That's why everybody's yeah. standing around the booth. It's is so phony that it's it's hard to even listen to. But yeah, it it's like people follow these guys around. So what I was kind of saying is like there's people I guess like like this Dab Star that this it's new way of you know we got these YouTube following and Instagram following and so <laughs> apparently you know you got to kind of find some people like. Like these guys that can get their followings and get the people all rustled up. It's just uh, oh, it's we're, kind we're of fucking weird. We're, we're gonna get followed. Please believe that. Uh, all right, Brandon, what did you think? 
Brandon's good. He's, he's good. He's one, one thing I would really like to put out for anybody that does listen is um, one thing I really noticed at this festival was I never saw a police officer there yep. one time. Yep. I never saw the medical crew take anybody out on the stretcher or have to treat anybody. I did not see one fight. I did not see... I did see lots of drunk people, but nobody that was, like, vomiting in the bushes or too much to handle themselves. Um, it was all love. Everybody was hugging. Share, they were and sharing. I one crossword, one negative word, not one yeah. single argument, not one loud anything. We Nothing. Went, we went dip netting. It was crazy when we were dip netting. People were throwing down left and right, just over tent spots and everything, and... Uh, um, there was way less people dip netting than than um, at the cannabis cup and at the whole thing. There was not even one one sad outburst. I tell you what, at four twenty, everybody uh, shared a lot of CBD joints. They said, um, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of love, a lot of people that's, sharing. That's good. I'm glad people were getting their anxiety down and their joints were feeling well, good. And yeah, at the end, it was at the beginning. It was a, it was just rules 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 all the, the security and all the people wanted it exactly you know uh, everybody to abide by uh, the rules and they were really hard ass about it but by that second day every especially toward the end i mean everything broke down i mean it was there were no rules <laughs> there were, it's too much wind and rain the way it should be right from the beginning even if they would just just everybody be okay and just trust and just chill out and that's when you have good times and good vibes. That's what, we're still not there yet. That's what makes it just kind of where everybody, you know, it's a, it was a good time and everything's good. But when you can't just don't, when you just can't be let it all out and just chill out and you just have not given a fuck and everybody's just taking, you know, just having fun and uh, you know we got to kind of get to that that point and uh, you know when you got the you know when you got all the. Serious sticklers for a bit. I don't see it changing anytime soon. I mean, Alaska is basically our economy up here is in the military and it's into oh, yeah. the oil field. Yeah. I mean, you can't smoke and get a job on the oil field. You can't get a job with any of the contract companies that might get you out there. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> well, I, just, I don't see Alaska coming around for a long well, time. Well, I'm talking about is coming around with just like that specific element of, of smoking in a venue on site. As far as coming around, um, I, and I and I don't blame. I mean, as as far as uh, you know, other uh, oil companies or other uh, you know companies that are ge- more geared toward uh, um, those kind of those kind of jobs to, to drug test. Yeah, I mean, I wish there was a way to change the stigma because it's just, I mean, it's but that's out there. You're lumped in because none of these guys have been able. They've been doing since they're 18. They never I think, got to it. Yeah, and I got, and what's funny is I got a ton of you know slow brokers too. Uh, that it, apparently what I always found so weird because I, I wouldn't do it because it always scares the shit out of me is most of them smoke. Most of, in fact, most of my slope people who do the who get drug tested smoke, and it always was like freaked out because I was like I would never like take that chance. But apparently, you know, most of them do it. What they've got. They, they're trying to tinker with a device and they try to do it for a while. I know it's all fucking the biggest waste in, in the world. It's all a bunch of fucking kids games. And that's what we have to get over. This whole idea of this like, shit that we've accepted for so long, this we, this kids games with all this little shit, that, all that has to end. we got to quit playing these little kids games in nickel and dime. But we're going to play nickel and diming until uh, things actually completely change. Like systems completely break down and change. Because it's like nobody gets anything until there's trauma and chaos and when there's trauma and chaos and bigger things can go but we'll keep playing these little games but they'll have a device they have a device that instead of being able to to basically um test for 
um, um, the, the metabolite in general, which is, it's bullshit. They'll have it to where you can basically take active carboxy. You know, like, for instance, if somebody somebody gets hurt on a job or whatever, or they're doing a drug test, they'll be able to, instead instead of testing and going, oh, well, you're just active, you may have smoked two or three or four weeks ago or whatever, we don't really know, that's where the testing is now, they'll be able to go, okay, we'll change the drug testing and we'll say that if you test positive for active carboxy in your system below these levels, then we can fire you. Because I, I, I'm sure what's going to happen, especially when the feds change and other things, is that they'll have a better test because they'll have so many people. They won't be able to do it. They won't be able to say like a no tolerance anymore. They'll have to have like a better test to uh, to test for it. Which yeah, it's just silly. even say how intoxicated Dude, the person really it, is. It's, like it's silly because you can test you can I, you can test for the active carboxy. It's just like what know, it's like I the can... bullshit with the, the the DUI metric. It's a you know point point uh, zero one. It's a it's bullshit but it, they can develop a standard that is i could drop 10 dabs while i'm driving and still safely drive um when other people are going to do one dab and they're going to park on the side of the road and call you and be like yeah. hey i need a ride right now yeah. you know no, i know no I, so no, that's the hard, that's been so the issue with it's it. pretty it's pretty hard to say like this test over here is is good for one person and not good for the other because it, it's very unfair so to the say. Same, it's the same argument they I made with the I could do 10 dabs and go walk on the trusses and carry plywood across the roof. And then, and then you know, like, should I be should I be penalized because, you know, like, I could still do those things while I'm all dabbed out because I practice or because I just don't, you know, like, it doesn't affect me in that kind of way. Or, I um, this guy. Mm-hmm. Right now, all I'm thinking about is cookies and cakes uh, and things. Uh, right? And I don't think I can honestly walk to my truck. And uh, that was after a much... I saw the plumes. I saw the plumes that came out of everybody else in the Was this room. your first time dabbing? Ever, yeah. <laughs> all right, no, man. Okay, so, so Woke and Baked, as, as a podcast, uh, as a podcast, time, huh? we've broken uh, DJ Sharp. Who is Alaska Reds oh. DJ? That was his first dab. <laughs> Fucked him up. That was his oh. first Fucked him up. The whole podcast. The whole podcast with Red. Like he's first... coughing in the back. Oh, I can, it was great. The video. Have you seen the video? I don't. I have not seen the video. How many views? The video is ridiculous. It's got to be. It's got to be at many, many views. I don't know. It was on Alaska Reds Facebook. It's like getting high again for the first time. So I pulled my. I pulled myself. Myself off of Facebook. Like I, I just have it for for Messenger now. Like I don't, I don't know. Oh, you I don't, no more Facebook. Nah, not not for the time being. No more memes. Not for even. Well, I'm doing them on. I'm doing on, on the gram. Messenger memes. I'm on the. You can absolutely send them to me on Messenger. Nice. At at all times. I guess one of these days I'm gonna have to get all Instagrammed up. It's a it's a lot better. It's like it's I um, a lot of business from there. It's between Facebook and Instagram. That is where. Probably about ninety percent of the gym has come in from. And so, so. you you own uh, Iron Asylum? Okay, right on. I've seen that over there. That's yeah. way cool. <laughs> yeah. So. so let's talk about that for a second. Uh, you recently had to, uh, so you had the powerlifting competition, <laughs> yeah. and you also had uh, the Ryan Canelli seminar. Yeah. Okay. So how did the powerlifting competition come together, and then how did the uh, seminar with Ryan Canelli come together? Uh, this one was down here, Jerem Feltman was the one who put on put on this one did an amazing job had bill kazmaier announcing it he's the world's strongest man and then we had canelli who's got the highest bench <laughs> press at 1074 and so he came into the seminar with having them both at the meet that was just amazing we had 20 20 lifters and had a had some really big numbers go up this weekend so that was pretty cool how many of your guys hit uh, personal records i think all seven no but we had one guy get injured he he ruptured his quad in the squat so he uh 
he was out, but I, I think he actually did get a squat that beat his old squat to, to lift before that, before his leg blew out. You know, one of the cool things at, uh, at that powerlifting, um, at the competition was that a lot of guys were, were going for like state records and some guys were going for like national records. Yeah. How often does that happen at, at these competitions? Cause I did I had no idea that we had uh, like that love. Like I understand we at have this, strong people in this state, man. At but, this point, like, it's not that big of a deal yet because it's just for the Alaska state USPA didn't get up here until 2016. So it's only been going for two years. So, I mean, like everything that I did there would have been a state record because I'm the only guy competing in that weight class. So it wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been a big deal. All I'm doing is setting my own records. I'm beating my own records because there's nobody else at 242. So a lot of those people, it's just, they knew that their weight class for the state of Alaska did not have anything. The one guy there, Nick Fisher though, he's actually a really big fucking deal. He's a 22 year old kid from Fairbanks that the shit he's, he's doing is incredible. I mean, he's squatting eight something. He's bench pressing over 500 and his deadlift is in the high sevens. So he's, I mean, he got invited to the U S Kern open, which is the biggest powerlifting meet in the United States. And it's a big fucking deal. And he got an actual <coughs> invite to get to go to do that here just a couple months ago down in California. And you have to be like, you have to total over 2000 pounds to get that. Like I'm only at 1738 is where I'm at. I'm I'm a long ways away from 2,000 pounds, so you have to be over 2,000 to even get invited to this thing. So he's one of a handful of people that can do that. So when you're competing at that that kind of level, um, how important are our sponsors? He doesn't have any sponsors. He's got a full time job. There's not there's no money in powerlifting. Fucking <laughs> make way more money making weed than you are making fucking powerlifting. It's expensive. Yeah, I mean all the shit that we gotta. Putting our bodies, yeah. the fucking, I mean, and the, the, yeah, the, the stuff that comes with it, the diet. I mean, I'm eating every two hours, and I'm still, what I'm eating compared to what the guys at the top levels are, are eating is just not even, not even on the same amount. I mean, I'm still spending 400 bucks a month on food just for, yeah. just for me, and uh, yeah. So you, there's no money in the sport. You're doing it as a hobby. It's a way all of us are fucked up, and that's why we do it. You know, there's a lot of us like myself that are vets that this is our way of dealing with that. You got people that have been molested. You got people that have had the shit kicked out of them or got beat up all the time as a little kid. Whatever it was, that's why they do it. Nobody makes any money, and in the end, you know, it's like it's like just just seeing seeing a lot of these guys as they've gotten older. There's it's almost like WWE. You're cool. Up until you're not on the, not on the show anymore, and the day that you stop lifting, <coughs> nobody remembers you. So, it's it's definitely not a glamorous sport. It's people are having fun doing it. That's why people do it. Son of a biscuit, dad break. I tell you the one thing too, Max. I was I was super serious, uh, uh, li- like lifting and body sculpting when I first came up here for three or four years, and it's exactly kind of like you said. It's so expensive. You know, when you get into it, you're like your supplement and then the eating. People don't realize the eating. The eating is 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 too huge. It's like every two hours and it's all prep. It's a whole lifestyle. It's a whole thing. And it's like eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month when you're putting everything in and your whole life is like around that. And you know, for me what what, what did it for me, I mean I, I got a, ended up getting a, a bicep tear that I couldn't get on and then 
you know, was, was, was really, was really into a lot of shit and, uh, was lifting one day and then like, just, just too much pressure and had like a blackout. Like it felt like something even popped and had a blackout and it was just like, I'm taking a, taking a, a break and, you know, and, I've, and I don't know if you know Brian Carroll. I've, I got a Paul Paul Carter. I got a couple of good friends who are um, big powerlifters and stuff, and they're really super cool guys. And and so, you know, what I saw with some of them and such, and like like where I was, um, and I'm not, I don't do hardly anything anymore. But it was it was like um, trying to find a happy medium, and I could see like a lot of these guys too, because powerlifting and doing that is not real healthy. Like when you're going at hard, it's not healthy because of just the everything hurts. Every yeah, everything, everything hurts, hurts and the eating and all that shit. It I sucks. Can't run anymore. I can't. Like, my wife gets. She's got. Luckily, I I don't have to do a whole lot of motion to get her to where she needs to be for her happy place. But when it comes to me getting off, it, it's like I got a two minute window and I'm having to climb off to go hug the fucking fan and try and breathe. Yeah, it's that bad. Like yeah. the breathing. I used to be able to run up and down skyline and this all started in the last five years and now it's there's no more running just to run to the end of the driveway i can't do it you just can't if you sound like you're breathing yeah. through a damn straw that's what I've, I've seen it with a lot of a lot of folks and that's where i see some of the you know a lot of the guys that are getting really interested in the wim hof and the, the, the cold therapies and such uh i'm trying to find a little bit more of a, a better protocol though to like live a little bit better because it's just so fucking grueling what what kind of things do you eat Every two hours, I'm eating a cup of rice, five ounces of cooked, uh, cooked hamburger, then orange juice with that, and then usually a handful of carrots. And then at night, just because I get tired of eating that so many times a day, mm-hmm. I go and have a, I have, I have a steak with some sort of, I cook a steak and then have whatever kind of vegetables I feel like with that, and some carb, about a cup of, cup of some sort of carb. Then the first thing every morning, though, is six eggs, two of those, just the egg whites, a handful of spinach, handful of green peppers, onions, <laughs> make an omelet out of that, and then have some like eight, what, six, eight, twelve chicken breasts maybe in a day. I don't do chicken yeah. very much. Chicken, yeah. ever since, I think chicken is a big chunk of the reason why guys' testosterone is going through the yeah. floor. They, they made this war against it, and they started to notice that men's testosterone has fallen off substantially each generation more at the age of 30 i went and got tested and i had an 80 year old man's testosterone levels and i had never done a steroid in my life yeah it it hit me right about 30 and i didn't get checked until 32 but yeah it is it's miserable and i that was about the same time though that they made this war against red meat which listening to the joe rogan they say that all kind of started from going after going the whole history it's all bullshit it's all bullshit Oh yeah, it's the it's the it's the soy it's the soy in the corn industry. I mean, I've done so much. I've wrote about this and done so much research on this. It's you can actually pinpoint it when it actually when it actually <laughs> happened. Um, and it was a, there was also a big war against coconut oil. And um, um, you can go and see this. You got to kind of do your do your homework and go back and see how this all happened. But uh, yeah, they didn't uh, you know for forever. Nobody had any idea. Even like growing up, uh, we had no earthly idea. Meat, red meat, isn't the same thing. Grass-fed, all-natural red meat, is not the same as the the, the crap that we you know, like, just a regular rabbis you get and all that shit. It's absolutely night and day. And so, like, like most people, it's changed in the last five to ten years because we had folks like you know, like 
uh, Rogan and Asprey and Sisson and a lot of these guys, and a lot more information has come out. But you know that forever we just uh, nobody understood the difference between just the meats, yeah. like a good quality grass fed, and then a good store bought. You know, if you're eating that store bought sh- shit, like if, again as a bodybuilder, oh my god, it would be the worst, and you wouldn't even understand it because, like. All if you're eating those ribeyes and shit that you're just getting from the store, and you're eating red meat and red meat, and what and, and I know these bodybuilders because I've heard this so many times from other bodybuilders too, and you can just you just know it because it is all of the the all of the shit, all the toxins, all of the undesirables, all of the shit gets collected in in marble in that marble fat, so it, it, it bioaccumulates. So all of the shit, all the soil, all the nasty shit, all the shit you don't want, all gets. Run down generation after generation. Rendered after into generation. that. And then, so you're eating that over and over, and then you're buying accumulate, you know, it bioaccumulates. <laughs> all those toxins, all those toxins are, again, if, if you just ate it once or twice every couple of years, ain't that bad, but you're eating it regularly over time. All these deposits just bioaccumulate. And so your inflammation, you will become, especially a heavy eater, like if you're bodybuilding or you're just a regular dude and you're eating your meat and potatoes for 10 15 years and it's this shitty shit stuff you will be so inflamed and puffy and achy and you'll be puffy because you'll retain water and you'll be you'll be puffy and achy and you'll have no idea and if you just switched to a different meat okay all natural grass-fed meat that alone would would completely cut it down by a, a huge margin and then little other things you know they take out lactose if you've got an issue with lactose that's another one that you know, there's just basic little things, even like the oils are the biggest things, you know, the the vegetable oil, the deadliest combination that was like the perfect fucking shit storm. Shitty vegetable oils with shitty sugary vegetables, French fries and Coca-Cola. And so like the vegetable oils and um, the, the, the various derivatives of that high potency fucking concentrated sugar smacks, you know, your high fructose corn syrups and all their other clever derivatives. It was just that mixed with her oil, and then we were fed that shit, and then all the propaganda and all the bullshit and all the <laughs> you know, all the sales stuff, and nobody knew a damn thing. So, they were, in your uh, in your opinion, was that done intentionally? It it's like this. I try to. I don't believe in intentionality. I don't believe in conspiracies because the people there's not enough smart people that work together. It's all unconscious. People don't know what they're doing on a micro level, and as a body, they don't know what they're doing. They think they they tell them stories, they tell themselves a story. They think they know what they're doing. So all the the, the people that uh, were were driving this, it's just self centered. It's old fashioned. It's always this. It's self centered greed, me, me, me. So it's people telling themselves, oh well, I'll fatten up a cow because this is you know whatever people tell themselves. It doesn't even fucking matter. They're like church. They just keep one level and another level and the next level of going up. No, it, they you have know? to keep. That's the, that's the way the game works. The, it's the intelligence. Yeah, again, the magic. Focus, focus. Always has to to be one step ahead of the marks because the marks eventually figure it out. You can you can keep it so bullshit it for is. so long, and then they figure it out, and then they. But it's uh, what it is. It's old fashioned, good old boy crony capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's like when I find a drug. Again, America was was founded on this. I mean, tobacco. That's the the, the Virginia London Charter. Um, that's how America was founded. It's always been about drugs, and they found that with this high fructose corn syrup, and with these these really easy vegetable oils, 
get a little salt and throw that in the mix and you've created a great concoction for addiction. And then you get your processed cereals and all your other convenience food items and that's then what people live on. That's all they know and it creates this horrible shitty biofeedback loop because it creates brain fog and you can't think clearly. And so then it creates emotional problems, emotional distress, so you eat more. And then you eat more of the shitty things because you you get your dopamatic response up. You want to eat sugary, shitty things that satisfy this, you know, this this desire. It's like legal crack in a box. Hundred percent, it's worse. It's worse. It's just everybody. Everybody's doing it. It's like it's like the lemmings, you know. Like every nobody knows that it's that that it's really that that's what the problem is. Like it's the gateway drug. Everybody's addicted from. I mean the time they're babies like fed on sugar and grains this is what you know this is what it, it one of the big things that's what got me uh really you know into everything you know because i get it was it was about maybe about eight ten years ago when i was really seriously into to, to lifting and eating well and into biohacking and <clears throat> basically trading life destructing uh, skills for you know life affirming skills and really what dawned on me is it hit me like a ton of bricks. It sounds kind of silly, but um, I had an epiphany one day of, of starting to examine it. Really started with nutrition because I've always been a pretty smart guy and can figure a lot of shit out. But when I got real with myself, I was like, what do I know? What the fuck do I know about nutrition? You know, <laughs> or what do I know about like how America was made and stuff? So I, uh, it, I went, really went and examined all these things that I thought I knew. And, like, I challenge other people, too, and I've done this for a number of times. All these things you think you know about, all these preconceived notions or how this was it or this was to be, you don't know shit until you, you, like, you examine how much you know. How much time do you put in it? What do you really know? And for me, I didn't know shit, and it was clear around me nobody else knew shit. And then I started, like, spending the next two years ripping everything apart, including the history of what our government did. And what are the basics, you know, what are the big things, you know, your, your macros and your, your macronutrients, your proteins and your fats and your carbs, and <laughs> what do these things do? And so once you go back, man, and then you see, you, you got to put it all around kind of together. I mean, it's, it's super, super fucked. I mean, it's really fucked up. It's like the perfect storm to create, you know, zombies. And now we're dealing, we're going to, we haven't even dealt with the repercussions of it. Here's a, a question about creating zombies. Uh, recently, and this is something I've wanted to address, like in the last week, uh, Alex Jones was deplatformed from from YouTube, from iTunes, from Spotify. Uh, I mean, he's he's basically lost everything, but Twitter, I I believe. Uh, what are your thoughts, anyone? Beyond, be, beyond, beyond fucked, and it's a letdown. It's a huge, really, you know. Being involved with the internet from the beginning and having a feeling like that, why the internet, what we were trying to do and what's going on. And it's a letdown. Like, it's not what sucks. It's not just one company. It's a lot of the big boys. And uh, they're treading on some real shitty precedent with uh, banning him. And, and anybody that wants to stick, okay, Alex Jones is a fucking moron. He is an absolute moron. Um, but that said, he should be allowed to express his moronic ideals to any moronic audience willing to listen to him. And people that have an issue with that, they should go fuck themselves. I mean, you can't, you can't start again. This is this gatekeeper mentality. We have to get away from this fucking gatekeeper mentality. This, this, 
where there's just going to be this arbitrary person that can open the valve on what you can see and what you can't see, what you can eat and what you can't eat, or what you can hear, what you can't. People have got to get over that shit. And so I cannot believe that, you know, the the, the Silicon Valley big boys are, are, are that po- I, I can't believe that they're at that point. I would thought they would have understood the principles a little bit more. But what about the argument that these are these are, you know, publicly held companies see, that have to look out for their best interests? See, that's that's again, that's that is a, that is a clever spin of bullshit. It's all it, it's a marketplace is a marketplace. So when you're when you're coming onto the Internet, you're riding. It's like you're, you're now riding on the backs of all of us because it's not just your little private media media source. When you get too big, you you you. You're piggybacking on everything else. So it's like the, the principles start at the ground level because, you know, like you can say, like, I'm not, my, my business now, I'm not, I don't get, I'm not, I'm going to choose not to sell to blacks and gays because it's my business. It's my property. It's my shit. Well, no, it's that, that's just your, your own self-centered bullshit. We, in order to even have a marketplace or a business or an internet or any of this shit, you, you, you. You have to come to the table. We all come to the table. And with it, we actually sacrifice a little bit of liberty. And I'm the biggest libertarian on the planet. And I love liberty as much. But when you go to a market, you sacrifice a tiny little sliver so everybody else can can fucking come to it. If we all decided to pick and choose, so every marketplace, and Twitter's a marketplace, everything's a marketplace. We exchange ideas, exchange money or anything. It's all a marketplace. It's an exchange. And so when you just start, start deciding, well, that that exchange is, we can do it in that exchange. We can't do it over here, but we'll do it over here. And this really big one over here, we'll, we can't do it there. We'll do it there. It's a fucking shit show. And that's what dumbfounds me of how people doesn't understand this. That is the most basic fucking thing that there can be um, in America and how um, how people don't get that. And mostly, you know, what it is, unfortunately, it's... um. The progressive left, which is interesting, the the, the and the young people who um who are, are into the you know these these safe spots and these these microaggressions and this further classification of unsettledness, you know, like they they don't want to be challenged and shit. It's this uh, what the, it's a dangerous landscape, man. You gotta you you gotta uh, stick up for the the. the even like the alt right, you know, all of that shit. You got it. They have to have a. They have to, all of them have to have a way to, to speak their mind. Everybody's got some good points. <clears throat> some of them. But you know. got you have to draw the line of violence. Like the, the violence has to be. <laughs> it's super simple. You know, here's the thing: is what it, God, dude, I, I can get so hot on this because it pisses me off because it's it, they get what they get into. The keyword is incite. So here's the there's the nucleus of everything is incite. So then again. What is what's going to incite you again? Because it's got to be it can't be me or you or these these anomalies or these characters. What's going to average man? What average man? What's going to incite average man to to violence? So again, if I'm a, if I'm a Hitler fascist up here and I'm just railing on the Jew, railing on the Jews and and why I'm the how is that inciting? I could go completely hateful speech about the genetics of uh, other uh, cultures and everything. How is that insightful? I w- that's what no one has ever really explained explained to me. You, when once you take out the word like the directness, 
you know, this is where, again, with the laws that we've had with uh, the war on drugs or the all you take out the indirect shit like, oh, you might hurt somebody or all of these things. It's, it's left in this land of gray that is usually to a, a, a body that doesn't make really good decisions to begin with. So it's uh, you take out that directness, you know, um, it, uh, everything becomes it. You know, anything be, can become this insightful speech. You know, me just getting uh, upset slightly uh, and, and raising my voice over the issue may be uncomfortable for somebody that needs to have it very monotone and delivered and unexcited and can't use these or those words. So it's just like at each step, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a you know, retreat. calm down and now we just like we're up we're up on top of another wave right now is, is this is this how this works is this, this kind of how this goes yeah and then uh, then another topical will come up so another another one that was uh interesting to me i think he's talking about who's yeah. riding his high oh, yeah. oh you're riding your high I'm talking, I'm oh yeah I'm this the, yeah no fucking this. go with it dude enjoy it oh. it's a beautiful experience welcome to the party yeah you gotta get used to it then you'll, you gotta figure out because a lot of what, what's funny about the dabbing stuff what people find out and this is where you, you can use it as a tool is uh, you get so high, and most people, they want to pussy out, and then they want to run away. Like, oh, I can't talk to anybody, or I can't speak my <laughs> mind, or, cause people, or whatever, because you have all these anxieties. And then you got to get to a point where you just say, fuck it. I don't care anymore. And it's like, to me, it, you sort of like, it's a way to battle uh, um, uh, social anxieties, because people, people you smoke it, you get dabbed out, and you, or you get apples, especially dabbed out, you're going to be... People aren't going to want, you're not going to want to, you're going to want to run away from social interaction because it's so much. I'm so high I can't make words right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a psyched out for me. Oh, in the beginning it is like that. It is. (laughs) Sometimes the hard part is uh, a lot of times, like with with me or especially back in the beginning, I'll lose my track. Like I will be on, or especially if I'll be talking with somebody or like on the radio or giving like a serious like interview or whatever. And I'll uh, I'll be here, 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 and all of a sudden, uh, where did I go? And I don't even remember where I left off. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember my first stab. <laughs> um, it was uh, it was like the first time being high all over again. It was actually one of the best experiences that I've ever had because it was like it was like the high that I was seeking out when I first got high my first time and the high that I always wanted to have again that I never did really get again because I've been smoking cannabis for 20 years. But uh, yeah, the first uh, probably month of dabbing, um, I probably felt what this guy over here is feeling just uh, yeah, out of control. But it was it was great. It, it was the funnest ride You're ever. You're going in so hard. So, so the first time I dabbed, I cried and... Uh, and, and remind and, and thought about my you know like being a better dad i thought about like all the mistakes in my life and how i could be a better dad and sure yeah it was a beautiful fucking i had a great existential experience That's the like, anxiety that was mark was talking about how it can help you to straighten out your things because it's going to dial in that those thoughts like that you think oh like i did this or i did that or anything else you know like you could it just it makes you feel like being a better fucking person 
Yeah, and then once you get through it and you get over it, you realize um, it's all not that bad, and you know you can be a better person. And you know, and that you know, one thing that you feel when you're that high for sure is like that social anxiety. You definitely feel like, oh, everybody's watching me. And I don't know. Once you get past it and you get over it, it's like it's like you don't really care anymore, and it it's hard for people to bring you down. I guess is what I'm getting at, you know, comments and the way people look at you. It's good for the head. It's like letting go of a big part of your ego. Like literally, if you're going to stay this high, if you're going to get high like this all the time, like you have to let go of part of yourself and and the old self that didn't do this anymore because you have to accept the way, you know, the way, the way it is when you're here. It's just like, I mean, it's like doing mushrooms or anything else. It's going to be fucking scary as hell. But, you know, if you do too much on your first time or whatever, but it's it's really all it's just about is just letting go of your ego and you know like and, let go of the stigma and and all of the and all of the crazy things that you think that people told you you're supposed to be like this and you're supposed to be like that and and you got all of the stuff that you like like socially like you feel like you're supposed to you know like you're supposed to have a bathroom in your house or or things like that you know or you should eat this kind of food or whatever like. Um, or you should take a shower every day, you know, like that's all just stuff that people told you and it's all this fucking bullshit. Like you don't have to fucking do any of that crap. Like you can make up your own, whatever you want to do. And, um, it's it literally like, that's what I seen once I, once I was dabbed out a lot or on high on high on weed is I got to the point where I was like, you know, like nobody, nobody has it. You figured out, I figured out that nobody has any better, better answers or, you know, like God or anything it's all just um uh you know it's just uh nobody knows so how would you recommend someone do their first dab just like i mean they, like socially like would you recommend they do it socially you know do it with some friends it, it does help it. to do, do it, it socially um, come and do your first dab with me yeah come do the best second times cannabis cup winning stuff but I do recommend doing it socially, mainly because um, when you're that high, it kind of does scare the shit out of you because all these things are going through your head. And when you do it socially, especially around people that are experienced, they can remind you that uh, nobody has ever died using cannabis. You're going to be okay. And um, I don't know, it makes it funner. And a lot of people I know that, you know, um, are even experimenting the first time with cannabis, um, I recommend you do it socially. Don't lock yourself in a room and do it because you're going to scare yourself probably. And you may not want to try it again. You do it around people. You got somebody watching you. Make sure you're going to be okay, which you will be okay. Um, I think it's an easier experience. Um, And then once you get over that, and just like Ryan said, it it really is getting over what's in your head because I think cannabis when you get high like that, it really tests your brain. It tests your head. All of the paranoias come around. Everything that you've been told just starts swimming through your head. And just like you said, you wanted to be a better father. And it's just, I don't know. I think it really amplifies that. And once you do get around it, like, I mean, I, I'm past that point pretty much. And I mean, there's still things I fight with. I'm the old stigma getting over that, you know, I, I've had to hide from family members that I use cannabis because of worries of what they would think of me. And, you know, I feel like in the last couple of years, I've damn near come out the closet of being a stoner to my family. And now they're more proud of me than ever. And uh, it's because I've shown that um, it does amazing things. I've, I feel I've gone a long ways um, since dabbing and really pushing the limits of uh, 
just uh, getting out of my comfort zone. Um, it's, I, you know, uh, work harder, do things that I've, you know, I am afraid of, uh, step into a new business situation, spend money that, that I wouldn't spend before, uh, trying to take a chance on, a you know, a new, uh, adventure, uh, business wise, or even financially, uh, try, you know, something, new project with a house or something. I, I just feel that I've loosened up and willing to step outside of my comfort zone and, uh, push harder. And I think it's gotten me further in life. The, the point in my life really, um, speaking about the better father thing and stuff like that is, um, when I, uh, at some point, like I was doing, doing weed a lot and, you know, like, uh, every, most everybody has this look of, um, the weed, like weed is a bad thing or whatever, you know, like from the propaganda point of view, even the weed smokers do like we're at the festival and all trying to be like Heidi and feeling shady and shit like that. And so like, that's just part of it. And so like when I, you know, like you feel that way, um, and then you're getting high and you're all hiding and you're trying to hide from your kids, but, and feeling like, Oh, if I get high and I'm going to be around my kids, oh, I'm going to be a bad parent. But it's fucking crazy. Like, this is the first time I realized that fucking weed was a, like a good thing. Like, I don't think it was bad anymore because I was, get, I was, I'd get high and I'd be around my kids and I thoroughly enjoyed them much, much more, you know, like I enjoyed, you know, like, uh, it just, I had the be- way better experience. Just like when you get high and you listen to music, you have a better, you know, it feels better and the same thing. So I was able to enjoy my kids. I interacted with them more and uh, I was a better parent from it. So like at some point, that's what made me decide that weed couldn't have been a bad thing because like, how could, how could I smoke this stuff or do this stuff? And, and it made me a better parent. It made me more compassionate to my kids and uh, see their point of view, um, you know, more, more times. And so it was like, to me, I was like, at some point, that's really what fucking struck into me that fucking, like, when I started to sell weed, like, in the black market, that it wasn't hurting, like, the, the something was good about this and not bad because it made me feel like I was, you know, like, I did better things for my fucking children, so, and I thought better thoughts about them and just felt, you know, like, happier around them and, and was less depressed and, and, and so, for sure, that was a, that was, like, a big part of um, the change in, in my personal self. Um, and seeing that weed was actually a good thing was that I felt, you know, like it helped me to have a better relationship with my kids. And... Um, Brandon, you uh, short on time? Oh, yeah, I got down by four. So. All right. Yeah, I got a lot of you. All right. Thank you, very... Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming in and hanging out. All right. Now, if people are interested in the Iron Asylum, how do they uh, they reach out? Uh, just give me a call at 953-4720 or go ahead and look us up on Facebook and set up a meeting through there. We're both on Facebook and on Instagram. At uh, Iron Asylum AK? Yep. Alright. There you go. Iron Asylum AK. On the gram. Gram it up. Big grams. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Thanks, man. It's always good talking. Always a pleasure. Yeah, go out there. Alright. Also got to pick up a kid. Yeah, I gotta get going back yeah. south myself pretty uh, soon. I gotta get about uh, ten seconds of right. silence. Big guy. Big guy. What about? No, it's a good guy. Thank you so much. He's bringing these people that fucking don't need to have something fucking to happen. We need to get cameras set up and everything. You, you, you at home are listening to Dirty Plans of the Future.
<laughs> Don't tell Brandon. Or anyone. Faded. Alright, hey, real quick wrap up. I want to say thank you to uh, the Canada dudes. I want to say thank you to Ryan Walker. I want to say thank you to Brandon from Iron Asylum. I want to say thank you to Mark for stopping in and, and always sharing a piece of his mind. It's very, very cool. All right, folks, coming up very, very soon. I'm, uh, looks like I'm DJing at Parker's on Saturday. Yay, good times. Because yeah. that means I've committed to it. Just kidding. I'll be there on Saturday. I'll be kicking off probably around 10 o'clock at night because why start early? All right. Um, be sure to check out Iron Asylum at Iron Asylum AK on the gram, or you can look them up on Facebook at Iron Asylum as well. Uh, you can't miss them. All right, folks, uh, be sure to uh, to shop local and be nice to Stratton. You know, I don't even know if I can say that shit anymore. Man, yo, be nice to people and do stuff. Be friendly. All right.